0: So, Matt, where do football players go when they need a new uniform? Hmm. I don't know. The locker room. New Jersey. (laughs) That's lame. Yeah, it is. Graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody. Here we are with another episode. Um, So before we really get into it, uh, like We always say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. We're members of the Podbelly Network, and you can find new podcasts and learn about things to start your own podcast. Um, We real quick wanted to remind everybody that Saturday, July 18th, we have a live show coming up in Pigeon Forge with Hillbilly Horror Stories. Um, You can go over to our link, graveyardpodcast.com. There's a, a page on there to buy tickets to that event so hop over to graveyardpodcast.com and buy tickets if you're able to make it out to Pigeon Forge Tennessee
1: yeah that's going to be that's going to be fun you know we we'll we'll be in the mountains and yeah talking about mountain stuff (laughs) (laughs) hey but you know I mentioned this before Gallenberg has got uh some pretty cool haunted stuff they've, they've mm-hmm. got a really good haunted tour so yep. you know come out to the show and just make it a whole you know haunted mountain getaway you know it'd, it'd be yeah. pretty
0: cool will be um we're really looking forward to it and we know jerry and tracy from hillbilly horror stories are looking forward to it too um so like i said go over grab you a ticket if you're able to come and we hope to see you there um, we'll try to have some fun stuff to talk about maybe some fun stuff to do um so if you don't mind go rate and review us on itunes or wherever you listen to us um it will help bring more people into the graveyard um we shared a thing on facebook and twitter about the podcast hot 50 chart thing um and we asked you guys to nominate us for that, that's another way just if we can get our name out there on something like that, it will help bring more people into the graveyard and grow the graveyard a little more. So we we want to make this a, a worldwide yeah. or even galaxy-wide show.
1: <laughs> we
0: We want listeners on Pluto, people. Come on. So, Matt, we're right on the heels of the really big football game, and I don't know if we're able to talk about the name of this football game or not <laughs> um,
1: I think we can because we're not selling anything by using the name so
0: all right well the uh, the Super Bowl was just um, when you hear this it would be almost a week ago um, so when, I thought it would be fun to kind of go over real quick the top five. Super Bowl commercials, because that's why people watch it now. They don't care about the game; they watch it for the commercials, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: All right. So, Matt, I'm going to just see if you can guess which ones these are. So, the fifth one, Matt, you have any ideas what the fifth most popular uh, is?
1: Let's see. I'm trying to remember the ones that I saw that that kind of made me take notice. Um, I I really I really liked the the Bill Murray Groundhog Day jeep commercial All right, well
0: hold your horses that one's they like that okay, one that, too that, that
1: that that was higher up what would be fifth i don't know
0: uh it was the rocket mortgage comfortable with jason momoa where he gets home and oh yeah starts taking his muscles <laughs> off
1: <laughs> yeah and he takes the wig off yep. and
0: he's falling. <laughs> yep uh number four was the doritos cool ranch commercial it oh, was the wonderful. the one with sam elliott uh and little oh, oh, and Lil yeah, Nas, yeah, 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 yeah. um, i can't
1: stand that song so yeah right i i, I, I like sam elliot oh yeah was, and, oh i know the cheeto one where the guy couldn't help anybody because he had cheeto fingers yeah
0: that was like down at one of the worst ones that was like oh, that was like the I bottom thought, five i thought it was funny yeah
1: i thought that was pretty funny
0: america did not <laughs> <laughs> As they continue to eat Cheetos. Yeah, exactly. Um, Number three was Google, the Loretta commercial, where the old guy had uh, Google pull up memories of his wife, Loretta.
1: Oh, yeah. That had
0: all of America crying. Sappy. Yep, exactly. Um, Number two was the Hyundai SmartPak commercial.
1: Yeah, that was great. That was right off the beginning. Yeah, okay.
0: That was great. Yeah, that one was in the first quarter. Um, and then number one was the Jeep Groundhog Day commercial.
1: Yeah, that one, that one was my favorite, partially because Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies. And, uh, I loved that Jeep. I I looked at Amanda and I said, I want one of those.
0: Dude, um, Ashley and I have been going over that for months. That is the car that I want is the, the, the Jeep truck, but when I looked at the price of it versus what you can get for other ones. No kidding. I was like, no, I'm going to go with a Dodge, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, I really, oh, man. man, I, I was drooling. You can ask Ashley, I was drooling over that Jeep truck for months and months. And during the, uh, Texas state fair, I got to get in one cause I had it at the, the car show there and I was able to get in one and I was like, you know, this is fantastic. I love Jeeps, but for a dude as big as me. What I'm, what I would be paying for this, I could get a lot more leg room in a Dodge.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing. It would not ever be my main vehicle. Oh yeah, it, it couldn't be. Yeah. I've, I've had friends with Jeeps, and it was their main ride. And I was like, this is not a main ride. No, this this thing is unless it is snowing. This is not fun to have in the winter time.
0: Yeah, you and. Know? I, I, if I get enough money, then it, yeah, I'm going to get a Jeep or a Jeep <laughs> truck as my backup vehicle. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't come off that much cash for a car that I'm not going to drive all the time. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> all right, Matt, we have pumped enough bovine scat- scatology into the beginning of this episode that I think people might be getting mad. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, right, shut up. Right. Get to the point. So Matt, get to the point. Tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother?
1: Okay. So tonight, we're going to talk about the, the strange events, strange activity, and mysterious disappearances on and around Mount Shasta in California. Yep. And, you know, I, I, I'd looked at this stuff. We, we had talked about a case before um, that occurred in Mount Shasta.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, During our Missing 411 episodes
1: yeah but i i had no idea about all of the the legend and lore associated with that mountain yeah which, you know is is an active volcano mm-hmm. i mean it well i read somewhere where they, they expect what expect it to eru- erupt what every 800 years or something you know and i'm like wow
0: yeah <laughs> Yep.
1: yeah I don't, I don't know that I want to live down there because I, I don't know where we are in the count.
0: Well, pe- yeah, people don't, <laughs> uh, I'll get to that. Um, there, there might be, it might be coming up actually. <laughs> mm. Um, I, I'll, I'll get to that depending on when the last one was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you don't think about live volcanoes being on, uh, you know, the mainland United States.
1: Well, you know, people you say know. Mount St. Helens is going to go again.
0: Yep. So. I mean, that's the only one we think of because that was the one that erupted during our lifetime. Right. So we think of that one, but we don't think of many other ones. But there are a few, you know, there there's a few that could go. Yeah. Um, you got uh, Yellowstone, giant super volcano there. The whole thing could go.
1: Look, I watched Dante's Peak. You know, I know how, I know how stuff goes down. If Pierce right. Brosnan, if he, if I see him snooping around, you know, I'm be like, I'm out.
0: Yeah. Right. No kidding. <laughs> if I see anybody running like that from any star running for their lives, I, I yeah. may go too. i yeah go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like Matt was saying this, Mount Shasta is in California and it sits on the Southern end of the Cascade Range in Siskiyou County, California. And it sits about fourteen thousand one hundred and seventy-nine feet high. That's four thousand three hundred twenty-two meters for the people that use meters. Um, not us. Not us. <laughs> uh, I'm get. I'm learning. I am learning meters and the metric system. Um, I know y'all say, "What? You just now learning?" Yeah. I went to school way down south, and Texas doesn't believe in meters. You know, we got feet. Why do we need meters? We don't need to yeah. com- convolute it. Um, but no, I'm, I'm learning the metric system because it's just easier, it seems. Mm-hmm. Anyway, don't let anybody hear me say that or I'll get kicked out of Texas again. <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, let's not go into that either. So <laughs> um, so Mount Shasta is, is a large stratovolcano, like Matt was saying, and it's got four overlapping volcanic cones um, besides the main summit. Shasta has a 12,330 or 3,760 meter satellite volcanic cone that they call Shastina. So it's like Shasta and her daughter Shastina. Um, Shasta has
1: (laughs) (laughs) wasn't wasn't what I was thinking.
0: Oh, okay. Family show. Yeah, right. So Shasta has erupted periodically over the last 600,000 years, and they still consider it to be an active volcano. Well, it's the second highest peak in the Cascades and the fifth highest in the state. The oldest known human settlement in that area dates back to, they're saying about 7,000 years ago is when they can carbon date things. Wow. Um, The Hotlam Cone is the one that erupts the most. And the Hotlam Cone has erupted several times in the past 8,000 years, including Here's 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 where we get into the discrepancies. Um, They say one camp thinks that there was an eruption over 220 years ago that was noted by La Perouse, a French explorer who saw the eruption from the coast in 1786. But it's disputed by the Smithsonian Institute's global volcanism program that says that 1786 eruption has been discredited. And the last known eruption that they were able to verify with radiocarbon dating was in 1250 A.D. So if it's in 1250 A.D., we got another one coming up. (laughs) man. We're due. We are due. So let's hope there was one in 1786. That'll push us off a little bit longer. Right. Um, But yeah. So there are several hot sulfur springs near the summit of Mount Shasta that Prove that there is still volcanic activity happening beneath the surface. Uh, without that volcanic activity, we wouldn't have those sulfur springs bubbling. Well, geologists consider Mount Shasta to be a very dangerous high threat volcano. And the quote is someday it will wake up and erupt again, possibly during this century. Mm. So again, we, I'm hoping I'm hoping not, because you know, we may be a long way away from California, it could it could still do some damage over here. Yeah. Now, Mount Shasta has 7 glaciers on it that they've named: Whitney, Bolum, Hotlam, Wintum, Watkins, and Conwakiton and Mud Creek.
1: <laughs> they just gave up at yeah. the end.
0: Yeah. Mud Mud Creek. Mud Creek. I'm
1: well, like, I- wait. Shouldn't we kind of stick with this theme we're got in the mud creek?
0: <laughs> yeah, call it Mud Creek. I like it. It's easier to <laughs> easier to say there. <laughs> uh, now, Whitney Glacier is the longest, while Hotlam Glacier is the largest glacier in California. Now, Mount Mount Shasta, you may not think you know Mount Shasta, but if you have seen pictures you'll go, oh yeah, that's it, because it's very yeah. famous for the lenticular clouds that form over the summit. Because of how high it sits, you get these lens-shaped clouds that form around the peak. So you may have seen a picture of Mount Shasta and not not even been looking for it. you just pretty mountains, you yeah. know, and you there's see Mount Shasta.
1: There's probably like 25,000 people that have it as their computer wallpaper.
0: Yeah, exactly, world. exactly. <laughs> so look at your wallpaper if it's a Big pointy mountain with lenticular clouds around it, that's Mount Shasta. Now, one uh, one thing we need to talk about because we're talking about disappearances that happen around Mount Shasta is climbing Mount Shasta. And climbing Shasta sounds naughty, so I'm just going to move on <laughs> with saying that. And y'all can <laughs> snicker to yourself every time I say climbing mm-hmm. Shasta. That's what I'm
1: you know. doing. Yep. Go right ahead.
0: So Mount Shasta is... Uh, You know, supposedly not a difficult mountain to climb. It would be for me because any mountain would be difficult for me to climb. Man, Um, there's a
1: hill down the street from my house that I don't climb.
0: Right. You get winded going up halfway. I'm not climbing Mount Shasta. (laughs) They say, though, that there are severe weather conditions that can occur year round that will make it a little more difficult to climb. Um, The usual climbing season is from early May through October. Climbers should be prepared for extreme weather conditions even in the summer. They say carry a rope, crampons, an ice axe, and be skilled in glacier travel, snow climbing, and they say know how to self-arrest after falling on a snow slope. So there are some dangerous spots in this climb, um, so keep that in mind when we talk about some of these disappearances um, and all that. They say though that a wilderness permit and a summit permit are required to climb Mount Shasta. So I mean if you need a permit to climb something, then I would mm-hmm. say it's it's not a walk in the park.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're not like just hiking up a trail. Hey, yeah. we're at the top of this mountain. It's a mountain.
0: Right. So I I mean, I've never climbed anything that I needed a permit to climb and I don't think I'm going to start anytime soon.
1: (laughs) Me either.
0: So Mount Shasta is usually climbed by this seven mile long John Muir route. Um, It's 14 miles round trip, seven up, seven down. Um, And it's also called the Avalanche Gulch route. So, again, not going to climb anything that has the word avalanche in it. Right. Yeah, me either. I'm out. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, but it you end up gaining 7,362 feet in elevation when you do this. So it's 7,362 up and then back down. They say the absolute best time to climb is April through July when snow is on much of the upper route. Because if the snow is melted, you've got to go through what is called scree slogging. And scree slogging is basically just climbing over a bunch of loose you know, rocks and boulders that have covered the side of a mountain. So, again, not fun to have to do yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Um, well, but, you're
1: convincing me more every minute that right? I'm not ever going to do this.
0: Right, exactly. And that's what not, I'm here not, to do.
1: Not that I was really thinking I was going <laughs> to.
0: Right. Well, you know, that I'm trying to paint this picture of it's not like a comfortable day in the park to go do this. And if you're around this area... You got to kind of think of some of this might translate into why people have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Well, the origin of the name Shasta is really unknown. Um, some people think it derives from a Russian word that means white. Um, the local Karuk Indians called it "who." It's U Y T A A H K O O. So Uitaku. Uh, but it translates to White Mountain. Don't smirk at me, Matt. You couldn't say it either. <laughs> I wouldn't have tried. <laughs> um, well, Mount Shasta straddles the territories of the Shasta, Wintu, Achuami, the Atsugawe, and the Modoc tribes. And, you know, anything that has been... Most mountains have some kind of lore and legend to them uh, from you know, the native peoples that were around, well, this is no different. Um, so let's get into some of the legends and the lore. Well, Northwestern California Native American tribes traditionally view Mount Shasta as being, you know, structurally and energetically connected to a wide range of these volcanic landscapes there, um, that it's not just a standalone, you know, it 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 is a part of a system, basically. Mm. Um, well, it was considered a primordial spiritual connection um, that links all of these energetically powerful sites together, and that includes Mount Shasta, Lawson Peak, Lava Beds, Medicine Lake Highlands, Crater Lake, as well as a lot of other landmarks that you can see through there. And I think we've talked about Crater Lake in some episode mm-hmm. we did. Yeah, we have. Um, well, for the ancient civilizations, Mount Shasta was on par Historically, with sites like the pyramids of Egypt, Stonehenge, the Mayan pyramids, and Machu Picchu, but it was considered to be even more of a spiritual place because it was quote creator made. It it wasn't a man made temple. This was a creator made temple. Mm. Um, Native Americans uh, have observed Mount Shasta as a sacred mountain from the beginning of time. Um, They viewed the mountain and its surroundings as holy ground. It's thought to be one of the first earthly places that was actually created by the Great Spirit. So in the past, no one but medicine men or women climbed up the mountain beyond the tree line. They thought it was too powerful for just any ordinary person to visit um, because it was inhabited by a host of potentially dangerous spirits and guardians who could harm a person who traveled up the mountain that was unprepared, spiritually or mentally. Um, So you weren't allowed to go up past a certain point if you weren't a medicine man in that tribe, because they thought, well, you'll certainly die. There's many stories that say the mountain is the, quote, sacred center of the universe. And in, in some stories, it is said to be the actual home of the creator, not just where... Uh, that was not just something that was created by the Great Spirit, but the actual home of the Great Spirit, the Creator. Mount Shasta's significance as a power spot for non-Indigenous people didn't really begin until the 19th century, though. Uh, the naturalist John Muir described the mountain's peak as a religious icon, and he's the one that helped to spread the legendary fame of this mountain. You know, that, that that's when it kind of went into more common knowledge rather than just indigenous people's knowledge. Now, in the 1930s, a businessman named Guy Ballard was hiking on the mountainside when he encountered a mysterious figure who claimed to be an ascended master. And we talked about ascended masters in our reincarnation episode. Um, They're the people who have learned so much through their lifetime that they have kind of gotten out of this birth-death-birth-death cycle that we're all in, and they have no need for it anymore because they've learned. They've moved past that. So the, the mountain is said to be home to these ascended masters. Well, the mountain is also considered one of the seven sacred mountains of the world, and a Buddhist monastery was actually built there in 1971. It has become a site of meditation, holy temples, and shrines. It's believed to be the focal point of positive energy and a place that would help bring world peace to mankind. So there's a lot of a lot of people who believe this is a very spiritual and you know a, a very positive place to be.
1: I mean, it's a volcano. You know, and for, you know, for ancient people, you know, vo- volcanoes were much more of a mystery but there was that that wonder and power mm-hmm. the danger and the fear I mean everybody's heard stories about people getting pitched into a volcano once every so often to appease the god that lived in the mountain
0: right right you know,
1: that kind of stuff so um, so yeah there there's there's always a lot of mystery and and allure really to the volcano right and you know shasta is no different um, especially with the the native american population that was there
0: right and and we know nowadays that volcanoes when they erupt and and just during any seismic activity they can create a magnetic field or a disturbance in the magnetic field around them so if you are You know, some people are sensitive to changes in the magnetic field, then they might feel that because it's an active volcano and they may feel like, oh, well, this is a place where, you know, it resonates with me spiritually.
1: Yeah. I imagine dogs act pretty weird. Animals in general probably act strange at times around volcanoes. I don't know that for sure.
0: Well, we, we it, do, it would make sense. I yeah. mean,
1: dogs sense the weather and yeah. um, we, other animals do as well.
0: So. We do know that some wild animals will flee before a volcano starts. So they can either hear it going off or they feel those magnetic changes.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, speaking of magnetic changes, let's get into a little bit of woo-woo that happens with this. <laughs> woo-woo! Yeah, buddy, woo-woo. Um, so... With a place like this, there's always going to be some maybe wilder or stranger things that people believe or say about the place. Well, some believe that Mount Shasta is closely related to mysterious flying objects. So... Just in general? Yeah, just, I mean, (laughs) it could be not really UFOs, but MFOs, you know, just mysterious. (laughs) Mysterious
1: flying objects. Yeah, yeah. Um, it looks like a lazy boy. Yeah,
0: well, it's flying. That's <laughs> mysterious. So some have ventured to say that there are secret underground bases located inside this, quote, magical mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, which we hear about a lot of mountains, that there are underground bases or underground tunnels or whatnot, you know, uh, beneath the mountains. So it really doesn't surprise me that they say that about mount shasta
1: yeah smog the dragon lives in there
0: yeah exactly yep (laughs) um well mount shasta has been identified by many quote experts as a spiritual and cosmic energy point a landing area for ufos and even an entry point that leads into the fifth dimension and as an access point to underground civilizations in 1884 Frederick S. Oliver, writer and explorer, wrote a book entitled quote, "A Dweller on Two Planets," where he speaks of elaborate underground tunnels and rooms where the descendants of Atlanteans live.
1: Now, Oliver was—he's he, an interesting cat. This occurred to him when he was a teenager. So, Oliver was was helping his family mark boundaries around the mountain for their mining camp but suddenly he began to shake and convulse and it appeared that his hand was trying to write something so he was obviously panicked and he ran home where his mother seeing his hand gave him a pencil and paper now as the story goes oliver went into a trance-like state and began to write for several minutes and these trance writings would recur over the next couple of years until finally it seemed like he had finished. Now, Oliver collected the writings, and that collection of writings uh, was a book called The Existence of the Secret Lemurian City and Their History. I keep, I, I, I paused. I keep wanting to say Lumerian. Yeah. It's Lemurian. And, and there's, a, there's a reason why. It's, it's Lemurian. But anyway, the, the book describes an ancient race of very intelligent beings that live within Mount Shasta. And these beings are our cousins, but they have evolved and advanced long before we became. Now, the name Lemurians, I told you, there's a reason. It references Lemuria, which is a hypothetical continent bridging the Indian Ocean which would have explained the migration of lemurs from Madagascar to India.
0: Ah, uh, okay.
1: Okay. Now, when I first read that I was like, "Wait. Wh- what what does something from India and Madagascar have to do with the Pacific Northwest?" Right. Well, Lemuria, this continent, was supposedly submerged and no longer able to be seen. But by the late 19th century, theorists had developed this idea that people of this lost continent of Lemuria were highly advanced beings. And with the the rise of the folklore over time, it began to encompass the majority of the Pacific Ocean. So, Uh, according to this lore, this continent was ginormous, Yeah, you know, and and went all the way from India across the Pacific Ocean into North America. Uh, Okay. Okay. Um, But Oliver believed that these beings chose him to be their messenger, and he also claimed to have seen their crystal city, Telos. That lies deep within the mountain. He also said that he saw cigar shaped airships, and these airships were capable of flying at incredibly fast speeds. Now, the book was groundbreaking for its time because it talks about quantum mechanics, anti gravity, mass transit, zero point energy, which Oliver described as dark side energy. But it wasn't until years later when people realized that Oliver, who, again, was only a teenager at the time, must have been some kind of genius because in the late 19th century, quantum mechanics and anti-gravity was not something that a young man would have ever come across yeah. in his education. No kidding. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it is of interest that Oliver describes cigar-shaped airships because this classic depiction of ufos wasn't widely known until the 1940s and 50s yeah which is when the ufo phenomena really began so it's it's interesting that number one like i said that oliver's writing about things that he should have no idea about yeah okay and then he's writing about things that came about you know fifty years later. Mm-hmm. you know so so that that is kind of curious as to why he would have would have used those descriptors, why he would have known about these things.
0: All right, Matt. So let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor this week, Care Of. Now, Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. Now, you got to make 2020 the year to prioritize you and commit to staying on top of your health. And instead of a laundry list of resolutions that you don't really end up sticking with, and we all do that, we make this laundry list of things that we're going to do and then we don't stick with it, Care-of can actually make taking your vitamins and supporting your health goals really attainable and really easy. And
1: careov makes your health easy by taking a short online quiz and answering some questions about your diet, your health goals, and lifestyle. care of will recommend a list of vitamins and supplements specifically for your health needs and goals. Now, vitamins can be confusing, and I, I think we all can appreciate standing in front of the rows and rows of vitamins in the pharmacy and going, Oh, yeah. What, what do I take? You know, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. of makes it so much simpler by taking the online quiz and answering questions like, How much sleep do you get? How often do you work out? Do you follow any specialty diets? Are you concerned about your hair, skin, nails, or teeth? And their expert recommendations will will fit your needs, and you can change or adjust them at any time. So what you receive is completely up to you. Now, Graveyard, Graveyard Tales listeners can take advantage of this offer for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter the code GRAVE50. That's G R A V E 50.
0: Again, like Matt was saying, it, it's a great offer that they've got going on right now. You can get 50% off of your first care of order, and it's real easy. All you got to do go to takecareof.com and enter our code. Grave 50, grave E five zero. It's rumored, and, and I don't have, I could not find a account or anything that we can really verify this next thing, but I thought it was interesting to bring up, even though I can't fully verify it. I just wanted to let everybody know that. I'm not claiming this actually happened. <laughs> don't don't send me emails. I won't read them. Um, it's rumored that in 1931, there was a fierce wildfire that swept across Mount Shasta. Well, according to locals, the fire was stopped by a mysterious mist that came out of nowhere. The unusual fog created these what they call linear demarcations of the fire where you could see perfect lines of around where the fire had curved in directions, you know, going away from the central area of that mountain. Um, so, again, I can't verify that, but I thought it was kind of interesting.
1: It is cool. I found the same story.
0: So. It, it's it, it. You know, I, I wish I could verify that because it would be great to have a verified, you know, pictures or something to say, yep, yeah, that actually happened. Well, Mount Shasta is also believed to be an energy supply base for extraterrestrial crafts. Now, they say that because there's an increasing number of sightings that have been reported in the area around this last decade, that they're coming in to draw energy from Mount Shasta. Well, the Hopi Indians actually have legends about a vast network of caves and a great city under Mount Shasta where the reptilian race lives. Now, many people believe that around Mount Shasta, um that the people that live around Mount Shasta, they have told stories about very tall humanoids appearing occasionally in some of the smaller towns uh, around the base of Mount Shasta. Um, and that that's something that Matt and I really want to do is a reptilians episode. So um,
1: <laughs> maybe it's like uh, where Slenderman is from.
0: Yeah, maybe. My slenderman yeah slenderman <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you know uh, among all these other odd things about 12 years ago a strange hole appeared on the side of mount shasta and it appeared to have been dug by hand and at night with the diggers using a, a makeshift pulley system to remove the dirt now the only clues that were left behind were a ladder a few buckets And a plastic water bottle. Now, a gentleman named Elijah Sullivan, who is a native of uh, the town Mount Shasta, decided to make a documentary about what the diggers were looking for because of all the mysterious stories that come from Mount Shasta. Right. And he says that three main theories kind of stand out. Now, one, it was people actually looking for the lost city of Telos. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, why not? But number two is that the diggers were searching for Native American artifacts, and we've already talked about you know how important this was to the Native Americans. Um, and there is there's history of looting for artifacts in, in the area around the mountain, and and Native American artifacts can be quite valuable. However, Mount Shasta, as Adam mentioned earlier, is considered sacred ground to the and Wintu tribe. And experts from the Forest Service say that any tools or ceremonial items that would have been of any monetary or historical value would have been packed up and not left behind by tribesmen. Sure. So, interestingly enough, I found this out, the fine for looting Native American artifacts is $20,000.
0: It's a butt ton. Don't do it. Yeah.
1: And it increases to $100,000 for the second offense. Yeah. Yeah. Like anybody could afford to do this twice. <laughs> <I> <laughs> yeah, no mean, kidding. They nail you once, you're you're done. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
1: and if you've already got that kind of scratch, what the hell are you doing trying to loot Native American artifacts?
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> but the third one, uh, it was theorized that the diggers were amateur miners looking for gold. And the Forest Service also thinks that this is unlikely due to the fact that the volcanic geology of the mountain wouldn't make it ideal for the presence of gold but despite all that the area does have a history um, from the gold rush era so some people did try Mm -hmm. but nonetheless you know elijah sullivan thinks this makes a pretty good mystery oh yeah especially with the history of the mountain you know so he's been investigating it for about the last you know 10 or 12 years um to to see you know what in the heck they were actually looking for
0: so what you're telling me is this is a more modern day um oak island thing kind of just yeah. a random hole and somebody is investigating this random hole and there might so be it, treasure
1: it was obvious somebody was looking for something
0: right you know we
1: just don't know what right you know so well
0: among all those other things mount shasta is also known for Just a buttload of mysterious disappearances throughout history. And one of the most recent cases actually occurred in 2011 when a six-year-old boy disappeared for about five hours while playing in the woods. Now, according to witnesses, the boy suddenly vanished from sight in a second and then reappeared five hours later as if nothing had ever happened. Oh. So quite weird. He just. Yeah. Yeah there one second next second gone and then five hours later he shows back up he's he's yeah. none the wiser but yeah. they realize five hours have gone by
1: yeah and um if you think that sounds kind of like a missing 411
0: yeah there's been yeah, it
1: does more, more than a few missing 411 cases uh around mount shasta and and some of these um they're they're just they're odd some of them have a a paranormal quality to them.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But yeah, it it does seem like there's, there's more than their fair share, more than what you would think a mountain that you could actually go and climb would have. And of course, a lot of these are, are going to be chalked up to look, these were people that, you know, went hiking. They decided they were going to climb the mountain. They didn't make it. They turned around and gave up and didn't tell nobody, found another way off the mountain and just went home. Because like Adam said, you do have to register and get a permit in order to do this. Right. And that's why we
0: talked about the the weird weather phenomenon stuff is, you know, because that's what a lot of people will say happened.
1: Right. This first one I found, which was not directly attributed Um, to one of these mysterious disappearances, but I thought it was odd. On December 12th, 2018, Dennis Jewett, age 68, was reported missing by a neighbor. Now, Jewett lived in McLeod, which is a town about 12 miles east of Mount Shasta. And Jewett was last reported to have been seen on the 3rd of December, and search and rescue teams were dispatched. And after about three days, Jewett's body was found, By search dogs. Now, the area where his body was found was described as being rugged and remote, and the weather conditions had not been favorable for hiking in this area. Now, during the missing person's investigation, Jewett's vehicles were located at his at his residence, and it appeared he likely just ventured away from his home on foot. Now, investigators found his home unsecured and his dog was roaming in and out of the house. There were no obvious signs of a break-in, theft, or criminal assault at the residence, which led the investigators to search the woods nearby. Now, what would have caused Dennis Jewett to just take off like that? Autopsy revealed that he had died of natural causes. Taking the weather into consideration and the fact that it appeared he just walked away from his house, it seems unlikely that he had just plan to take a hike right you know
0: <laughs> go take a um, hike
1: take a hike man <laughs> I, so so when i found that story i thought well that's really weird yeah. you know and and it's it's not been solved beyond that um it's just you know they don't they don't know what happened you know he just he wandered off and they they found him in this area that he probably had no business being in yep. and but they don't suspect any kind of foul play
0: and that's going to be a common thread throughout this episode. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Now, two stories from 2011. Now, in 2011, a man went missing on the Pacific Crest Trail for several weeks. And after his disappearance, a huge party was dispatched, but they couldn't find any trace of him. So about two weeks later, this man returned and had this wild outlandish story. The man said that while he was out hiking, he heard a woman singing, so he decided to go off the trail to find her. While he was looking for her, he said he must have blacked out, and he woke up a couple of hours later, completely naked and in an underground cave.
0: That's not normal.
1: No. Well, I don't know.
0: (laughs) No, it's not normal. Depends on what he was drinking beforehand.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If it was beer, not normal. Not normal. Jägermeister happens every every Thursday. (laughs) So he says then he was approached by a very tall, beautiful woman with amazingly bright blue eyes, and he told police that this woman gave him secret information, and when he was asked what this information was, he wouldn't tell. That's the best way to keep it secret, Mm -hmm. guys. You don't.
0: right stop telling people
1: (laughs) but after this event this man changed his name to lord (laughs) Kalki. making many believe that this guy had suffered some type of mental breakdown on the mountain sure but some think that he may have had an encounter with the mysterious lemurians that we mentioned earlier yep Mm.
0: and they made him a lord he was knighted
1: Uh, yeah that's right Change, I'm going to go off somewhere and come back and change my name to Lord something.
0: Lord Matke.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I can do better than that. Can you though? <laughs> Maybe.
0: Yeah, we haven't um, proved that we're that in <laughs> that creative.
1: <laughs> yeah, coming up with a name for myself after I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I don't know. But another man in 2011 uh, from Los Angeles was with a spiritual group of friends and they decided that they would meditate high up on the mountain. Now, they started their trip on November 11th. And this guy, after taking his shoes off, hiked up on top of the mountain. He just wandered off. No, it thanks. It makes me think. My, my parents, to this day, they, they say the same thing. If you're going on a trip, they laugh because when we were kids, they always said, stay with your group.
0: Hmm. now stay with your group yep <laughs> that's well, good advice yeah it really is we t- i mean we even talked about that in our missing 411 episode don't go out yeah. by yourself and don't be last in line exactly either. that's why i'm always trudging through right at the very front or i'm in the middle of the pack i'm not i'm yeah, not hanging don't behind be last no
1: um but he he wanted to place a rock on the mountain summit Now, after a while, a storm settled on the area, and despite efforts made, his body wasn't found until the very next day. Now, here's the weird part. The estimation was that he had traveled about 9,600 feet up the mountainside. What? Barefoot. No. And overnight.
0: Yeah, that, no. Uh Uh-uh. That that can't happen.
1: Don't, you don't do that.
0: Even running, you know, you're not going to travel that distance at night oh, you, barefoot. No.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's so the question is, is how did he get that far? Now, that is another commonality with a lot of these missing 411 cases yep. is that people are found so far away from where they went missing that it, it just seems unexplainable. And they can't right. either because they died or or they have no recollection of events right up until before they went missing, mm-hmm. but yet I mean we we had a story on on the on the uh, missing four one one episode about a guy that you know he woke up eighteen months later and he was like seven hundred miles from where he started.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: And you're like, well, he you know that's weird. You know? Yeah. But but yeah, but being able to travel that distance in that short amount of time seems impossible. Right. So so, let's talk. We, we brought it up. Let's 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 touch on it again. The missing four one one stuff. And like I said, there, you know, we we've got an entire show about this, but it it keeps cropping up.
0: We're obsessed with this missing four one one stuff. Oh, it's,
1: it's just amazing. every time I hear and 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 that's it seems, you know, kind of weird. But every time I hear about missing hikers or anything, I immediately start reading that story, yep. looking for the stuff that would make it a missing 411.
0: Account. Oh, yeah. Me too. Me too.
1: Now, now, 99% of the time, you know, the people are found or something and it and it and it doesn't fit. It's not all that weird. There's a solid explanation for what happened. Right. Um, but I, I do, I always have a tendency to look and see, you know, is this another one of these weird ones?
0: Yep. Just you know. in case.
1: But this next one, Adam and I actually discussed in the Missing 411 episode. So I'm just going to hit the high points here. But for a more detailed version of this story, go find episode 29 at about the one hour mark. Right. And, and you'll hear Adam discuss this. But one day, a young boy and his grandmother were taking a nice little hike in the woods near Mount Shasta when all of a sudden, the grandmother just passed out. And when she woke up, her grandson was missing. Now, the young boy was found a couple of hours later, and he said he got abducted by a robot that looked and sounded just like his grandmother. Mm -hmm. And he also said he was taken to a huge underground cave that was filled with other robots. Now, this, I mean, really, this sounds like something that a five-year-old boy would make up. Oh, sure. But what's really interesting about it is that when the grandmother finally woke up, she found that she had been dragged from her tent and felt a really strange pain in the back of her neck. Now she discovered an odd puncture wound, making her believe that foul play was involved and that someone or something did indeed abduct her grandchild. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that one, that one's weird. And and, and Adam relates it in much more detail in the 411 episode, but, um, but, it's it's a story that if you start looking at these Mount Shasta disappearances, it comes up every time, you know, because it's one of these really weird, you know, bizarre stories, and and it goes along with all the other weird stuff that happens on this mountain. Right. The last one that we're going to discuss tonight is is the most famous story uh, of a disappearance, you know, on or around Mount Shasta. Um. This is the one that if you if you Google any of this, this is the one you're going to find, um, and it, and it is very odd, um, but it involves a gentleman named named Carl Landers. So on May 25th of 1999, 69 year old Carl Herbert Landers set out with friends Milton Gaines, age 64, and Barry Gilmore, age 60, to climb to the summit of Mount Shasta. Now, Carl's friends described him as an experienced climber, hiker, and distance runner, and in excellent shape. For 30 years, he had run every morning and even completed the Boston Marathon in five and a half hours. Now, that that sounds fast to me.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm,
1: assume, I'm assuming that if you can complete a marathon, period,
0: yeah. you're better than I am. It would take me five days to do that.
1: If you start a marathon, you're better than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But in his later years, he had this ambition to climb the highest peaks in every county of California. So in May of 1998, a year before he disappeared, he climbed Mount Shasta. But he didn't make it all the way to the summit, and he vowed that he was going to come back and he was going to get to the peak. So, the night before the group's visit to Mount Shasta on May, this is on May 22nd of 99, the three men stayed together in a motel. So, on Monday, the 23rd, they left the motel at 4 a.m. and they had all the equipment. They had ice axes, crampons, climbing clothing, you know, all the gear they would need. And they left for the trailhead at bunny flat which is one of the locations that you can start from uh and 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 this area was was covered flat
0: st- seems a lot more my speed rather than that <laughs> avalanche gulch thing
1: <laughs> that bunny flat is where adam learned to snow ski exactly yeah. it's it's the bunny flat it's not even the bunny slopes that like the five-year-olds are doing it's the bunny flat where you pretty much just have somebody push you
0: as long as i can stand up i'm not gonna move you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) but but that's what that's where that's where this group started out um and and as i was saying it's covered in snow drifts even though it's may
0: right right
1: again a place i'm not really looking to live no if i if i hear that you have snow and it's may i i don't want to i don't want to be there I don't, I don't like being that cold so from there they hiked four miles to a place called horse camp the next night they camped at a location on the mountain called Fifty Fifty plateau now that's just below lake helen which is a popular camping spot covered in boulders and a lot of the climbers will use this as kind of a way station, and um, and they'll they'll wait for the right light and weather conditions before the final push to the summit. Now, Carl was taking a medication called Diamox to combat the effects of altitude sickness, but he was also suffering from diarrhea. And had to leave the tent several times during the night to relieve himself in the middle of, you know, strong winds.
0: That's a terrible trip.
1: I'm telling you, you know, there... If you got di- is-
0: diarrhea and strong winds, isn't that a, an old saying? <laughs> don't poop into the wind or something like that. <laughs>
1: I think it's you don't spit
0: in oh, the wind. Oh, uh, well,
1: it rhymes with spit. you don't do spit. the other either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> man i gotta tell you there's not a convenient time maybe there is there's a convenient time to have diarrhea maybe when you're like you know behind on your reading yeah something. when when yeah. you're
0: trying to get out of something maybe but
1: when, when you're like my feet haven't been numb in a while <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> you know right but, now I, I i could really go for not feeling the lower half of my body that would be fantastic
1: yeah, yeah. You know, it'd be a great time to have some <laughs> diarrhea. Cl- climbing a mountain not the time. Not the time. Okay. So in the morning he he still he still complained of not feeling the greatest. But he left the 5050 location without his friends to get a head start up to Lake Helen. Bad idea.
0: That dumb man. That's yeah. dumb.
1: Don't. Don't. Now hypothermia and dehydration is not a good combination on a mountain climb and can often lead to trouble i'm not even sure why i read that sentence i might as well have said grass is green and the sky (laughs) is blue i mean (laughs) right it's just like it just you know that is a that is a fact
0: that's a duh moment if i ever Uh, heard one
1: Now the lake is a short distance. It's only around 650 feet around the side of the mountain from the campsite. And, and it's just at a slightly higher elevation. So it it really wasn't like he was going that far. Now his group said that he was wearing two to three layers of clothing, including a rust colored coat, ski pants, and boots with crampons. Now, Milton and Barry saw Carl disappear around the curve in the mountain, and that was the last time he was ever seen. Now, his friends packed up and sub- subsequently left the camp around 30 minutes after Carl had started out. They left their kit at the camp as they intended to check out Lake Helen's weather and snow conditions and then go grab their stuff from 50 50 later. But after a short time, Barry returned to the tent which was still at 50-50, because he wasn't feeling the greatest either. He needed some emodium too. Huh. Any experienced hiker knows that it's not a good idea for a group to split up, and at this point, all three of the climbers had become separated. Uh. So it's gone from bad to worse. Now, old Milt, he got to Lake Helen on his own, and he asked one of the rangers, if he had seen anyone passing through on the way to the mountain. And he told him that he had seen only one person, so Milt tried to catch up, but subsequently discovered that he was way too fast to be Carl and wearing the wrong clothes. And he turned back and asked the ranger again, but the ranger said, no, nobody else has come through here. So Milt went back to fifty-fifty to try to catch up with Barry. Who was probably, you know, behind the bush. Yep. right. And and he kind of thought, well, well, Carl will be back there, too. And this was around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. But Carl wasn't back at the tent. He had pretty much vanished. And his kit was still left at the campsite. So, Milt decided to hack back down to Bunny Flats to meet Adam, who was still standing out there with his skis on flat ground. (laughs) (laughs) But at around 8 p.m., he notified the uh, Siskiyou County Sheriff that Carl had disappeared. Now, Milt left Carl's gear behind just in case he turned up. At the fifty fifty camp, sure. He he didn't want to leave him with nothing, so he left his stuff up there. Now, the Siskiyou County Sheriff's Department started searching the area the next morning, which was May twenty sixth, after Carl was reported missing. Now they used a grid pattern, and you know, you know what that is. I mean, so sure, they yeah. they they spread out so that they're searching, you know, a certain area, so they can say, okay, we've searched this area, we're moving to the next block. Mm-hmm. Um. And they also had a National Guard air ambulance helicopter um, and a California Highway Patrol helicopter equipped with an infrared sensing device. Now, a, a ground search team was also sent out, and they were on skis, horses, and foot, and they were made up of U.S. Forest Rangers and Shasta Mountain guides. Now, they were joined by volunteers from surrounding counties and, and southern oregon um, and also several members of the orinda roadrunners which was a club that carl had belonged to meet me and uh, yeah cuz he was a runner right you know so you know so all these people have come around to search for this guy a helicopter pilot took professional climbers to the summit and they started coming down the mountain using different routes at different points on the compass now you got people going up, around, and now starting at the top, coming down. Yeah. If he's up there, they're going to find him. That's they an knew extensive search. Was, they knew where he was going, yeah. at least where he wanted to go. And they knew where he had been. So, I mean, really, you're you, they're searching almost the whole mountain, Yeah. even though it was reasonable to think that he would have been in this location right but they can't find him there so they have to broaden out their search now the search and rescue effort was headed up by a man named grizz adams
0: (laughs) and gotta be a nickname
1: not his given name right (laughs) you know but he had he had uh he had overseen over 400 search and rescue operations so um this guy was no slouch. He he knew what was going on, and even um, even in an interview with David Politis from the Missing Four One One books, he said, "In thirty five years, I've never had this happen to me." We were all over that mountain. He was not he was not on the mountain. We brought canines in. They didn't pick him up. We flew around it. We dropped guys at the summit. They came down all sides. They couldn't find him. They talked to people who were on the mountain. They didn't see him. There's snow around the path where he was, and nobody went outside the path. So when Politis asked Grizz Adams what he thought happened to Carl Landers on the mountain, he said, that's the million-dollar question. He either went up or in, but he's not on it. To this day, now 20-some-odd years later, Nothing has ever been found, not a trace of his equipment, and it's assumed that Carl disappeared somewhere between the Fifty-Fifty Plateau and Lake Helen as no tracks were spotted off the trail. It's a distance of only 650 feet, an area which is relatively flat with no dense brush or tree cover. The topography of the area around Mount Helen makes it very difficult for someone to disappear and there's no obvious crevices nor is there any dense vegetation or trees which would obstruct the view of a body the lake was also thoroughly searched as was the forest on a grid basis at the base of the mountain even cadaver sniffing dogs uh, were dispatched and found nothing so what's more this is not some desolate spot there were at least 50 to 100 people around lake helen at the time that he disappeared and they never saw him the only evidence that he was there at all was his abandoned backpack at the Fifty-Fifty plateau
0: that's just wild to you know it's like we talked about in the the missing 411 you bring in the cadaver dogs and stuff and they can't even find you which is just crazy.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, one thing that um, that always comes up in these cases is that hypothermia can cause people to become delirious and they begin to feel that they're hot. Mm-hmm. And so they take their clothes off. Right. That And that, that explains why a lot of these people that, you know, die from exposure are found, you know, either naked or in their underwear. Yeah. Because that, that's what hypothermia does to your body because, you know, people that don't know would look at it and go, why in God's name would that guy take off his clothes? It was freezing. Well, to him, it wasn't because he was dying from hypothermia. Yeah. The The other idea is that, you know, maybe he was attacked by an animal um, and there are black bear and coyote around the area, but they stay more down around the base you know they're not way up on the mountain
0: right so where and they're not where gonna he, hide his clothes
1: right or eat them right um and there would have been evidence of that of an animal attack but but where he was at the time of his disappearance you know there there's not predatory wildlife up there so what happened to him you know one one idea was is that you know carl led a double life you know that maybe he needed to disappear and start over, but that that really doesn't seem likely. You know, even his wife, in an interview, said that when he left, she thought there's there's something that's not good about this trip. Mm-hmm. She 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 thought that, and and it wasn't that you know he was fixing to disappear. You know, but some people speculated that maybe maybe his friends were lying that Carl was never really there, and. The whole trip was a uh, was a ruse to explain his his disappearance, and he was taken off somewhere else. But that's also unlikely because the permit the permit was required, and you have to sign for it. So we have evidence that Carl was indeed there at the base and started out on the trip.
0: Yeah, so he was actually there, and they have proof.
1: Right, and so. The other idea is that, well, maybe Carl's friends, you know, did a number on him, you know, but again, if if there was no evidence that, that they had any type of ill will towards Carl and, and there would have been evidence of something, you know, know, if if I'm going to take a guy up on a mountain and I'm going to, you know, knock him off, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge for me to be able to get his body off of that mountain. And, and as I said before, you know, ac- according to the ranger services, this, this area doesn't have really anywhere where you could dump a body, you know, mm-hmm. no open crevices, um, you know, no heavy brush or anything where you could hide something like that. Um, but, but not even finding his, his clothes or, or anything like that. I mean it is it's almost like he either got sucked off the mountain or he found some way in or was taken inside
0: which so, fits with what people say that it's either a hub for alien activity or that there is an underground base of some kind or or underground city
1: yeah and so you can see why this is the most famous disappearance story um you know it's it's only you know, a little over twenty years old, mm-hmm. um, and and like I said, there is no no evidence. You know, nothing nothing has shown up um, that would explain what happened to Carl. Uh, so it, it is it is it, it's an unbelievable situation to have somebody just completely vanish, and then when you add in all of the mysterious circumstances that surround Mount Shasta, it really makes you begin to wonder what the heck is going on over
0: there. Yeah. Is there actually something happening that is beyond our understanding? Because you have disappearances a lot. Like you were saying before, you see these hikers that disappear and all that stuff, but there's usually always some kind of factor that lets you know it was natural causes or, something like that they don't have these mysterious details that missing 411 cases do and it seems like all of the disappearances on mount shasta have those missing 411 elements to it
1: yeah they sure do and one thing i was really surprised is that in all of my research looking at this case in particular that bigfoot did not come up yeah and and you know there, there are some Bigfoot sightings in that area, um, and and Bigfoot sightings are common in areas where missing four one one cases are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they don't really seem to connect to any of these disappearances, and certainly not the disappearance of Carl Landers. Um, but it, it it is it's a tragic story, um, but it's a mystery, and. You know, it, it's just one of those things where you look back and you go, "Something weird happened to this guy."
0: <laughs> yeah, something real. I weird. mean,
1: I I mean, what whatever it is, it's obviously something that was not um, what what we would expect. They 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 exhausted all of those possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? So so if we can't figure it out this way, it's got to be something totally off the map mm-hmm. and uh and i mean that's kind of what i think i don't i'm not going to say that i i think it was aliens or anything like that i don't know that um but i i definitely think it's something that may be beyond our understanding
0: yeah and it could be you know like um i think i brought this up in the missing 411 there's possibly you know a a you hate to say, I hate to say this word because people will automatically go, oh, you're crazy. But something like a dimensional portal or something in that yeah. area that yeah. could pull you to another dimension with it. I mean, you're walking down the trail and something opens up in front of you. You walk into it, not realizing anything is different and it closes. Well, that's how you just disappear without footprints anywhere or anything yeah. like that. And we talked about that in missing four one one. That's possible there too, yeah. if you if you believe any of that stuff. Um, But I also wonder if any of our listeners, because we got a lot of listeners in California, right? Um, have any of y'all been to Mount Shasta and experienced anything odd? Or anybody that lives around there, have you heard of these disappearances that we've talked about, or ones that we didn't talk about?
1: Yeah, and and in my research, I found that there's. There's a lot more sure. that are not well documented. Um, so there, those little stories are just hard to find, and a lot of them just are are two hikers went up the mountain, never came back, mm-hmm. n- and they were never found. Right, and, and you know, and that's 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 it. And there's a there's a lot of those. Um, of course the the, you know the the rangers will always say, well. It, it there was there was obviously foul play or some something was something was up something was amiss right um because they they don't have the details that they have in this particular uh, story but what do you guys think I mean we we've given you a lot of information about the mountain itself and about the the legends and the folklore and and all the weird stuff that's happened um there there's even a case where um you know Air Force pilots saw. Um, two stationary blue lights over the mountain they weren't moving mm-hmm. you know they so they weren't aircraft and there there were no there were no light towers or anything like that for them to be seen so you know there's there's everything from ufos to ancient civilizations
0: to reptilians you know, to
1: reptilian dimensional portals everything associated with this mountain so what do you guys think you know is there a portal there is it an you know, an alien hub, you know, what, what, what do you think's going on there? Let us know, jump in our Facebook group and talk about this. Um, join us for our um, upcoming see you live show. We'll discuss this more then, and we'll be able to take some questions and some thoughts from you guys as well. Right. So, um, but as, as always, you know, please, as Adam said earlier, go rate and review us on iTunes because it does help us get up the charts a little bit and makes us easier to find and it brings more folks into the graveyard. Check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on the website, you will find links to buy Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show. And you can become a patron. Again, we thank everyone who has uh, donated their hard-earned money. Oh, yeah. To help Adam and I continue uh, to make this show better for you guys. So, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard.
0: See you soon.